This is Kyle Brooks, and welcome to The Deep End. I hope you're a skeptic. The difference between skepticism and cynicism. No offense, but I don't believe all that stuff. It's not the first time I've heard that, but it's the first time I've heard it from him. In fact, it is my very first conversation with this particular neighbor. I'm wondering, what stuff doesn't he believe? He elaborates, pretty much anything in the Bible. Oh, interesting. Tell me more, I prod. Well, he says, I figure... If we found the dinosaur bones and we haven't found Noah's Ark or the shroud Jesus was buried in, how could it be true? I mean, it doesn't make any sense. Why I love a good skeptic. I love these kinds of comments. Not because I agree with them, and not because they're easily debunked, but because they open up big, beautiful questions. Questions like, What type of evidence do I need in order to believe something? What does it even mean to believe something? Is it possible for human beings to believe anything purely on the basis of evidence? Skeptics tend to get a bad rap in religious spaces, but as a pastor, I hope you're a skeptic. Why? Every skeptic opens up through their doubts, some fundamental questions about what it means to know, what it means to have faith, what it means to be human. Maybe I love a skeptic because I am one. Skeptics need to be persuaded. They long for a mind that's in alignment with their will, their commitments, their trust. If they're going to trust in something, they want to have a good reason. It wasn't my neighbor's skeptical questions that concerned me. It was what came next. That's what they want you to think. He asked me to share about why we moved to the neighborhood. In particular, he was perplexed that a couple like us, who seemed to have options, I guess, moved to East Oakland. I told him about all the things we love about the area, about the people. He wasn't convinced. I hadn't addressed the elephant in the room, the challenges with poverty and gun violence that our neighborhood faces. So I told him about Jesus. I told him that in Jesus, I see a God who doesn't retreat from the pain of his people. On the contrary, he goes to live in the middle of it. I believe that the God of the universe decided to become human by being conceived by an unwed teenage mother raised by a poor family, in a town from which nothing good seemed to come. If that's the kind of God I follow, then I need to be close to the pain of the people he loves. What he said next surprised me. He said, that's beautiful. But see, isn't that just the kind of story they'd tell to get you to believe it? Friends, that's not skepticism. That's cynicism, and I don't recommend it. The difference between skepticism and cynicism. Skeptics need to be persuaded. 
Cynics can't be persuaded. Skeptics look for information to confirm or disconfirm their doubts. Cynics filter all the information through the lens of their doubts, always confirming the bias they begin with. A skeptic's lack of belief, ultimately, is about herself. So far, she hasn't been persuaded by the evidence or arguments. A cynic's lack of belief is about, quote, them, their motives, their hunger for power and control, whoever they may be, the politicians, the corporations, the pastors. A skeptic's doubt is malleable. A cynic's doubt is impenetrable. A cynical person today generally mistrusts the motives, not just the beliefs of others. Their doubt is not merely a considered opinion of the mind, but an all-pervasive attitude of the heart. The Prison of Cynicism In his children's book, The Last Battle, C.S. Lewis tells a story about a group of dwarves huddled together in the middle of Aslan's beautiful country on a sunny day. They thought they were still in a dark, dirty old barn. Lucy pleads with them, Can't you see? Look up, look round. Can't you see the sky and the trees and the flowers? Can't you see me? But the dwarves couldn't believe the evidence right in front of them. If something sounded too good to be true, it probably was. They had been tricked once before, you see, and it cost them their freedom. Never again. Aslan, who had set a feast before them that they tragically cannot taste, interprets the situation for Lucy. Their prison is only in their minds, and yet they are in that prison, and so afraid of being taken in that they cannot be taken out. That's the main problem with cynicism. It's a prison. It leads to stagnation, like an intellectual and spiritual swamp where there is very little fresh thinking flowing in or old ideas flowing out. The mind of a cynic recirculates the same positions over and over and over until they go rotten. Some of us have good reasons for being cynical. We've been burned by people in the church, so we're cynical about religion and its lofty claims of love. We've been disenchanted with politicians that promise utopia but never deliver, so we assume they're all in it for the power. We've tired of corporate rhetoric about changing the world because all we see are new devices designed to sell our data and control our attention. It doesn't feel like something we choose. But we can choose to release cynicism, and we must. The cost of cynicism is just too high. Quote to reflect on. You cannot go on seeing through things forever. The whole point of seeing through something is to see something through it. It is good that the window should be transparent, because the street or garden beyond is opaque. How if you saw through the garden too? It is no use trying to see through first principles. If you see through everything, then everything is transparent. But a wholly transparent world 
is an invisible world. To see through all things is the same as not to see. C.S. Lewis, The Abolition of Man. Coda for Philosophy Nerds. A Brief History of Cynicism. Cynicism, which began as a philosophical movement in ancient Greece, used to be about austerity and divine social conventions, among other things. One of its original adherents, Diogenes, literally lived in a clay jar in the street and ate raw meat. But when we use the word cynicism today, it usually refers to more than defying housing norms and food safety regulations. We're living through an epidemic of cynicism, and it's not the Greek kind. It's not because ceramics is the new construction method du jour. The person who probably did more to shift the definition of cynicism than anyone else in the world is the 19th century philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche. In works like Beyond Good and Evil, Nietzsche didn't just argue that people should defy the social conventions of where to live and what to eat. He advocated for defying society's conception of good and evil altogether. And not only did he reject the notions of good and evil, he told a story about them. That story, in a nutshell, goes like this. There were some people who were weak, but they wanted power, like everybody. How can we get power over those who are stronger than we are, they wondered. Then they discovered the clever trick of using morality to control human behavior. For example, they could take a quality like humility, an obvious weakness, and call it good magically turning it into a social strength. They might never be physically stronger than their neighbor, or smarter for that matter, but they could be more humble, and therefore now more powerful. In other words, when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, if only we could codify this, reinforce it with myth, ritual, and identity, so they formed religions around it, especially that most odious of religions, Christianity, where God himself is so humble as to allow himself to be killed by mere humans. Humility is a strength? Mercy is desirable? Loving your neighbor? Loving your struggling neighbor? <laughs> is something God desires? That's just what they want you to think. So, Cynicism about the motives of the powerful gets linked through Nietzsche to defying even the most basic social conventions, the conventions of good and evil. Most of us, even in our most cynical moments, aren't quite like Nietzsche. We don't think our jaded view of institutions, people, or God will lead us to doing evil, per se. But it might cause us to resist the most basic calls of community to true friendship, to participating in civic life, to spiritual community. And what could strip our lives and communities of goodness more quickly or fully than that? Thank you for listening to The Deep End with me, Kyle Brooks, the podcast where I basically just read my blog if you like to take it in via audio instead of reading with your eyeballs. 
This is the place to come. You can follow or subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. And if you'd like to actually subscribe to the blog or the podcast to get it into your inbox, you can go to my Substack, kylebrooks.substack.com, kylebrooks.substack.com, and you can find any of the links or references I made here or that I linked in my blog in the show notes. Hope to see you next time, and thank you. Thank you.